Americans are flocking to British Columbia via Nova Scotia doctors to purchase diabetes drug. When will McGill and the MUHC apologize for MKUltra? Most of the RCMP leadership from during the mass murder in 2020 has either retired or been promoted, and the UK is sending Ukraine munitions containing depleted uranium. Good morning. It's Wednesday, March 29th. I'm Nora, and here are your headlines. We start this morning in British Columbia, where Health Minister Adrian Dix announced that the province will be restricting how much Ozempic can be sold to non-Canadian citizens. Ozempic is a drug that treats type 2 diabetes, but has been increasingly used off-label as a weight loss drug. You've probably seen stories about it because they've been circulating for weeks now. The decision came after a provincial analysis found that 15% of Ozempic sales in January and February went to U.S. citizens. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but it's actually a ton if you compare it to the sale of other drugs to Americans by pharmacies in British Columbia, which comprises less than half a percent. Now, just in case you think that these sales are somehow organic, they're not. Just two pharmacies accounted for 88% of the drug's sales to Americans, reported Rihanna Schmunk from the CBC. Even more incredible, 95% of the prescriptions were written in Nova Scotia. Dix, for some reason, didn't name the pharmacies, but he said that they were both in Metro Vancouver. He called on Nova Scotia's professional college to investigate what the heck is happening out there. I'm sure Nova Scotians will want to know too, and who are the doctors that are prescribing such an amount of prescription drugs to then be filled in British Columbia? Someone is making a lot of money off of this, and it does have implications, especially for a potential pharmacare program, which I know the Liberals don't seem very keen on creating. Next to Montreal, where the Allen Memorial Institute is the subject of an investigation by The Maple. The facility is part of the McGill University Health Center and offers outpatient psychiatric services for the McGill General Hospital. But the Allen has quite the past. Information has come out steadily throughout the 1980s and the 1990s about horrific experiments that were conducted there thanks to research money that was being sent by the CIA at the start of the Cold War. Maybe you've heard about it. The program was called MKUltra. I first learned about it from a CBC movie that was called The Sleep Room. It pretty much destroyed my faith in everything. I have no idea if the movie is still available, but the information about what happened at the Allen is hardly hidden. Dr. Donald Ewan Cameron, the doctor who oversaw the program, was paid more than half a million dollars and conducted horrifying experiments on 80 patients who had no idea that they were part of the program. The Maples' Spencer Nafek Blanchette interviewed the daughter of one of Cameron's victims, who is the representative plaintiff against McGill, the MUHC, the Canadian government, and the CIA in a lawsuit. Her father's life was ruined after he first went in to see about pain in his face. Cameron was convinced that the pain was psychological and he was subjected to horrifying treatment. He died at 61. The lawsuit was launched in 2019. I'll let you read the investigation on your own if you're curious about what kind of treatments and torture I'm talking about. 
The MUHC has never taken responsibility for Cameron or MKUltra. Instead, they've always insisted that Cameron was never actually an employee of the Royal Victoria Hospital, another precursor to the MUHC. It's pretty disgusting stuff, and considering how horrifying the experiments were and how not long ago they were... McGill, MUHC, come on. It's time for you to actually account for what happened. Now to Halifax, where Michael McDonald from the Canadian Press has an update on what can be expected from the final report into the Nova Scotia mass shooting. This report focuses on whether or not anyone will actually be disciplined or face consequences for how the RCMP handled that evening. 22 people died the night and morning of April 18th and 19th, 2020, and the RCMP have been roundly condemned for how they intervened during the murder spree. No one at the RCMP had been punished at all for the policing failures of that night, and many of the senior officers no longer hold their positions. McDonald goes through a couple of them and explains where they are today. He starts with Brenda Lucky, who was at the time the commanding officer of the RCMP. She has since retired. Lee Bergerman, who was the RCMP commanding officer in Nova Scotia, has also retired. In July 2021, she was accused of having a conflict of interest because her husband, another RCMP guy, though retired, had been a member of an internal RCMP team that had been tasked with giving the inquiry information. Chief Superintendent Chris Leather had been the one who took journalists' questions right after the event. His initial comments were full of, quote, mistakes, confusion, and omissions, unquote. He and other senior officers withheld key information from the public, like victims' names and information related to the weapons used. It was senior Mounties in Ottawa who asked for this information to be released. Leather has since joined a, quote-unquote, policing modernization team at RCMP HQ in Ottawa. Superintendent Darren Campbell took over after Leather's performance as a spokesperson. His handwritten notes from nine days after the shootings led to Tories and New Democrats accusing the Liberals of, quote, interfering in a police investigation for political gain, unquote. Leather has been promoted to chief superintendent and is now the criminal operations officer within the New Brunswick RCMP. And finally, Leah Scanlon, who had been the director of communications the night of the murders. She wore errors like a tweet that the RCMP had issued that talked about a firearms complaint, even though by then the RCMP already knew that three people had been murdered. She also took heat over the fact that the public was not alerted that the shooter was driving a car that looked like an RCMP cruiser, information that would have saved some lives. She is now the strategic advisor to the commanding officer of the Nova Scotia RCMP. So, all promotions and retirements? I guess it sounds about right if we're talking about the police. And finally, Al Jazeera is reporting that the UK has announced it will send Ukraine, quote, armor-piercing rounds containing depleted uranium. These weapons are nuclear-adjacent, and while they don't cause nuclear explosions, the munitions heat up to be very, very hot. Al Jazeera says that they, quote, essentially become an exotic metal dart fired at an extraordinarily high speed. These munitions are highly effective at cutting through even large vehicles like tanks. Unsurprisingly, Russia is like, okay, if you do this, we'll respond in kind. The U.S. National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby has said that depleted uranium, quote, is not radioactive, unquote, and, quote, not anywhere close to going into the sphere of nuclear weaponry. He said that Russia should just withdraw if they're worried about the weapons that Ukraine might be using. 
The International Atomic Energy Agency warns that the munitions are still dangerous and shouldn't be handled by bare hands. They suggest that an information campaign might be necessary to make sure that people who handle the munitions don't get sick. Depleted uranium can cause kidney damage and kidney failure. These weapons were used in the 1991 Gulf War and in Serbia and Kosovo. Al Jazeera reports that soldiers have questioned whether or not the munitions that they had handled has led to health issues later on. And you might have noticed that I didn't mention yesterday's budget. Uh, The budget is a huge document. It's almost $500 billion worth of promises and whatever. I don't know how important it is, frankly, because the devil's in the details, number one, and the proof is in the pudding, number two. Whether or not this money gets spent is a whole other issue. But if you are interested, you should definitely look out how much money we have dedicated to defense spending. There was not any surprises. The defense spending looks like it's mostly already been announced, but there are things like $50 billion that will go to helping to renovate uh, facilities and new installations that, I don't know, will help us become war ready. Uh, Pretty ridiculous if you consider the small amounts of money, like $3.5 extra billion to healthcare. That is a joke. Um, And so, yes, you can take a look at that. You can also take a look at one of my favorite promises, which was the 2019 promise of Justin Trudeau to plant, how many was it? Two billion trees? Well, by 2021, they had only planted 8.5 million, and by today, they've only planted 30 million. So what does that mean? Of course, the promise is in the budget again. Yes, it is another 2 billion trees with, of course, the 30 million netted out of it. And I believe the target date for this ridiculous promise is 2031. I mean, at least I guess they're being aspirational that they'll still be anywhere near government at that point. But anyway, so today you'll probably see a ton of news about the budget. I would take a look out for stuff that might interest you, like PSAC warning that the budget cuts $14 billion out of the public service. Watch out for that kind of thing, because I guess that's interesting. Or just listen to the Daily News. I'll tell you what you need to know. It is Wednesday, March 29th. I'm Nora. Hope you have a great day.